All right, welcome. I'd like to call the November 7th, 2022 regular meeting of the Shoreline City Council to order. Will you please join me in the flag salute? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Will the clerk please call the roll? Mayor Scully. Present. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Here. Councilmember Ramsdale. Present. Councilmember Mark. Here. Councilmember McConnell. Here. Councilmember Povey. Here. Councilmember Roberts. Here. All right, thank you. I have two proclamations tonight. The first is to proclaim the month of November is Native American Heritage Month. And it's my understanding there is no one here to accept that. Is that correct? Ms. Simulchek-Smith? That's correct. All right. So our second is I'd like to have the pleasure of proclaiming November 11th, 2022 is Veterans Appreciation Day. And I'd like to invite John Brady up to the podium to join me in reading the proclamation. Whereas our nation was founded on the belief that all Americans are created equal and are guaranteed the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and whereas our nation's veterans have sacrificed to preserve and protect our country and constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic, and whereas November 11, 1919, was initially proclaimed as Armistice Day to honor our country's World War I veterans, and in order for a grateful nation to pay homage to veterans of all wars, on June 1, 1954, President Eisenhower signed into law the renaming of Armistice Day to Veterans Day. And whereas the city of Shoreline recognizes the contributions of the men and the women in the military who have served our country and who continue to serve our communities. And whereas on Friday, November 11, 2022, at 2 p.m. at Shoreline City Hall, the Shoreline Veterans Association is hosting their annual Veterans Day celebration to honor local veterans. Therefore, I, Keith Scully, Mayor of the City of Shoreline, on behalf of the Shoreline City Council, do you hereby proclaim November 11th, 2022 as Veterans Appreciation Day. And I urge all citizens to honor the sacrifices of the loyal and courageous veterans who has given so much for the cause of peace. Don't want to occupy too much of your time, but uh, as veterans, I want to thank you all very much for supporting us. I know you have throughout all of the years. And for those of you who have uh, had the opportunity to serve, uh, take advantage of uh, many of the organizations that continue to provide your efforts towards the service of community, state, and nation. For those of you who haven't occupied time with other organizations, it's time to join is now. Thank you. John Brady with the American Legion Post 227 Shoreline Star Sutherland Post. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Brady and all for attending. Next up is approval of the agenda. Are there any requested changes to the proposed agenda? All right, seeing none, the agenda is approved unanimously. Next up is report of the city manager, Mr. Norris. Thank you, Mayor. And I'll just Wait for a second here while Jessica gets the presentation up.
Thank you, Jessica. Again, thanks for Council for your patience. Um, so good evening, everyone. While it's that time of year uh, where we may get some white stuff falling from the sky, and so to prepare for snow and ice events, the city snow out, snowplow operators and support personnel took part in our annual s snow school over the past few work days. Uh, this training provides an opportunity for staff to review procedures, inspect and test all equipment, and then take to the streets to practice driving the established snowplow routes that we have identified here in the city. Uh, we take this time for training every year in order to resolve any concerns well in advance of the areas anticipated for snowfall and give our newer employees a chance to familiarize themselves with the vehicles and the snow routes when there is no snow on the road. And so uh, residents can learn more about and see our primary and secondary snowplow routes and learn more about how the city prepares for storm ready at shorelinewa.gov slash storm ready. And so we urge everyone to uh, go check out that website and uh, get prepared for the winter season. Uh, as just alluded to with South School, we're starting to see colder temperatures, of course, in the forecast. And I wanted to remind everyone that the community uh, of our severe winter shelter, which is located at St. Dunstan's Church in Shoreline, the shelter operates when temperatures are predicted to fall below 33 degrees for four hours overnight, or two or more inches of snow are predicted. Um, and to hear the nightly status of the shelter, you can call the hotline at 206-801-2797. I was just informed by staff today that I believe the shelter will be planning to um, open tomorrow night as we are um, projected to have some cold temperatures and it may be open for a number of days this week. So again, please call the hotline if there's any questions about the nightly opening of our severe winter shelter. Uh, the shelter is dependent on volunteers uh, to be successful. And so if you are interested in volunteering, please visit shorelinewa.gov shelter to learn more about the commitment. And a big thank you to the North uh, Urban Human Services Alliance and St. Dunstan's Church for their partnership in making this resource a possibility. And as you just heard the mayor read in the proclamation tonight uh, for Veterans Appreciation Day, Shoreline's annual uh, Veterans Day celebration will be held at uh, City Hall at 2 p.m. on Friday, November 11th. Veterans from the branches of the U.S. Military Service will be recognized and celebrated. There will be a, a short program followed by coffee, tea, and light refreshments. And I believe the Shoreline Veterans Association has invited Michael Schindler, who is CEO of Operation Military Families, to serve as the keynote speaker at the Veterans Day event. And I know um, Mr. Shin will be joined by the mayor and King County uh, Council Member Rod Dombowski, who will also say a few words. And so for more information about the Veterans Day event this year, you can go to the city's website, shorelinewa.gov. And again, wanted to say uh, a big thank you, of course, to all of our veterans here in the community. And finally, in honor of Veterans Day, uh, City Hall will be closed on Friday, November 11th, except for uh, this, the Veterans Day event that will be held in the lobby, so all city services uh, will be closed. And for more information on city meetings and events, you can visit shorelinewa.gov slash calendar. And that's all I have, Mayor. Thank you, Mr. Norris. I just add that my understanding is the severe weather, weather shelter currently has enough volunteers to open, but they are entirely volunteer dependent, and if they don't have folks to staff it, they can't open, which means that crucial service is, is missing. So I would encourage all of us to reach out to our personal networks, and if we've got folks who are willing to be engaged, the city's website outlines the fairly brief training program and what, uh, what folks can do to be involved. Next up is uh, council reports. Are there any council reports this evening? Council Member Poe. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, on 
November 4th, we had the Seashore Transportation uh, Farm. It was great. Um, I think the highlight of it was the Strat dashboard, which is being used currently to analyze how uh, Metro is doing in, in terms of serving as uh, uh, citizens, uh, residents, basically. And so um, that was just kind of the main highlight. Thank you. Thank you. Other council reports? Councilmember Mork. I attended uh, with the Regional Water Quality Committee a tour of the West Point treatment plant. Uh, it's located by Discovery Park. It's 34 acres, which for a wastewater treatment plant is very tiny. They do 400 million gallons a day of sewage treatment there. Most of shoreline goes there. Uh, each Olympic swimming pool, just to help contextualize things, is uh, a, a million so gallons. So it gives you some idea how much water goes through, and it was really quite impressive. They are working on seismic upgrades and power quality upgrades at this time, and it was an interesting tour. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember. Other council reports? Councilmember McConnell and I attended, along with the Chamber of Commerce, the opening of a new business on Aurora, the Paris Beauty School. It's always fun to get out and meet the folks who are uh, engaged in making Shoreline a good business community. Next up is public comment. And this evening, we actually have three separate public comment periods. This is general public comment designed for anything members of the public would like to tell us about anything on the agenda or in general. We also have two separate public comment periods for uh, our two specific resolutions. If your comments are directed towards the specific resolutions, we ask but don't require that you wait until that period. I understand there's only one person signed up remotely. Is that accurate? Yes, one person is signed up remotely for general public comment and then also the public hearing. And okay. then we have a couple people signed up in person. In person. All right, so following our, our remote hybrid rules, we're going to take the folks who are in person first in the order in which they signed up. Then we'll go to the uh, person who signed up remotely. Everyone has three minutes to make their remarks. We ask that you begin um, with your name and city of residence. And because this is an election cycle, we, the only thing we don't allow is comment for or against a specific candidate. A specific ballot measure is fine, but we ask that this form not be used to endorse or oppose particular individual candidates. Will you please conduct the public comment period? Yes, and um, this evening our timer is going to be um, my cell phone because our digital timer on the computer is not working. So Bill Thompson and Sigrid Strom are signed up for in-person. Good evening, Council. Uh, my name is Bill Thompson, a lifelong resident of Shoreline. I came tonight to comment on Ordinance 972 regarding the levy lid lift known as Prop 1. Neighboring jurisdictions are doing fine with a levy rate lower than shorelines, 1.13 per thousand, capped at 1.39. This ordinance raises the rate to 1.60. Instead of raising the rates, I am asking you to have staff undertake a type of value-based exercise on the recently added program, Grounds Maintenance. This program used to be contracted out. It was brought in-house prior to the pandemic, and things look no better in our parks and streets, in some cases worse. Please, please direct staff to look at, at the previous hours contracted per year, 
versus what the hours recorded are for the city staff performing this work. I believe you will find an opportunity to return Shoreline to a much leaner and cost-effective organization. This can free up funds to deliver human services and give programs to people, not plants. While I appreciate the attempts to be sustainable in landscaping, I have read about in the currents the carbon footprint and administrative overhead for facilities and vehicles tips the sustainability scale the wrong way. Should Prop 1 pass, which I do not support, I ask that you continue to look at this program. Given the light rail corridor nearing completion, the areas needing maintenance will only increase this lack of cost-effective maintenance. Please consider ending this program and retaining a staff member to supervise a contract with sustainability and social equity to the forefront. Shoreline must deliver value to its citizens, not increase taxes. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I just don't have any special comments to add tonight. I just, I already sent you email with my additional comments about the CAP plan. Um, as you know, <laughs> or have discovered, I think the CAP plan is A1 uh, importance to this community and just to everyone in general. And as a biologist and a professional in a technical communications field, I have, as you obviously have noted, very strong feelings about some issues that are still in the plan. So I can't stay for the conversation later in the meeting, but feel free to contact me if you have any questions or there are things that I've said that you don't understand. Thank you very much. Thank you. And you're Sigrid Strong from Shoreline, correct? Yes, okay, thank you. Okay, so Kathleen Russell is next. Hello, um, good evening, Council. This is Kathleen Russell, resident of Shoreline. I request item 7B be removed from the Council consent calendar. This item pertains to the Department of Commerce grants to study middle housing. With all of the current housing development in Shoreline, 10,000 plus apartment units as projected by city staff, it seems there should be a pause to confirm occupancy of these units prior to moving ahead with additional housing concepts that will dramatically change the zoning and shoreline. It is noted in the Washington State Department of Commerce grant description, the proviso states that for this grant, middle housing types include duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, fiveplexes, sixplexes, townhouses, courtyard apartments, cottage housing, and stacked flats. Duplexes and triplexes and more options on 30% of the residential property will have dramatic effect on Shoreline's land use. Before a grant is accepted, please continue with review by the Planning Commission and Council with public comment. Thank you. Thank you. 
Is there anyone else signed up for public comment? Not for general public comment. Right. Is there anyone in the audience who would like to address us during general public comment? No. All right. Thank you very much. Next up is the consent calendar. Deputy Mayor Robertson. I move approval of the consent calendar. Second. Will you please conduct the vote? Mayor Scully? Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson? Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale? Aye. Councilmember Mark? Aye. Councilmember McConnell? Aye. Councilmember Poby? Aye. Councilmember Roberts? Aye. Right. The consent calendar passes unanimously. Next up is action item 8A, which is the public hearing on the 2023 to 2024 proposed biennial budget with special emphasis on uh, the regular and excess tax levies. This is a public hearing item. It's an action item. We're going to have a staff presentation on it. We will then take public testimony if there is any and followed by the council discussion. Ms. Lane. Good evening, Mayor, Council. Okay, let's get the PowerPoint moving. There, worked first time. So just a quick review about where we've been with our budget process before we jump into the presentation on the public hearing. Um, this is our fourth night of discussing the proposed, the city manager's proposed budget. We have two more opportunities. We'll be back next week for a third public hearing and then with adoption on, um, or excuse me, action planned on the proposed um, ordinances um, on November 21st. So again, just a reminder that the information is all available. Um, city's budget is on the website and available for purchase at the city clerk's office. So on our public hearing tonight, as the mayor mentioned, we do have actually two public hearings. So I'll run through the presentation for the first public hearing, which focuses on revenue sources and property tax levies. And then we will pause for um, to open the public hearing and have council discussion before stepping into the second public hearing presentation and do the same thing. And then, of course, next week we'll be back for a third public hearing. So with that, um, this first um, public hearing does focus on our revenue sources and um, property taxes. So this slide shows where our um, 364 or almost $364 million biennial budget for all funds, where those revenue sources come from. Primarily number one is taxes with um, number two being um, intergovernmental revenues, but really um, charges for goods and services are a close, close third there. When we look at the general fund, we see that our operating revenue makes up the bulk of that, but we do have um, 13, almost $13.5 million of um, use of fund balance planned in this um, biennial budget. And that is um, primarily for one-time projects and um, activities with about $358,000 that is proposed to um, fill, balance the budget since we did not include um, voter approval of the levy lid lift in our proposed budget. Looking at where the operating revenues come from, you see that the largest item is our property tax, followed um, by sales tax. And then I like to, to lump the franchise fees, contract payments, and utilities together to make sort of a tripod. Those are our three major revenue sources. So utility, um, utility and franchise taxes, plus property tax and sales tax. And that um, totals almost you know, $99.5 million. 
So as we look at ordinance number 972, that is the um, ordinance that covers our regular and excess levy for um, 2023 property taxes. So without the levy lid lift, um, that, that levy would be about $15.6 million. With the levy lid lift and the rate reset at $1.39, we would be looking at about $22.1 million which is greater than the amount that we had anticipated when council adopt, adopted Proposition 1, the ordinance for Proposition 1. So council could set the rate at $1.37, which would equal the same level of revenue that we had um, anticipated when you adopted that proposition. The difference is because, of course, the um, assessed valuations have changed since um, the estimate we were provided from King County um, back in July. And, and those are continuing to fluctuate a little bit, but I think we're close to um, being settled on that. So looking at ordinance number 972 will also include the excess levy for the um, voter approved parks bond. That will be about 2.3, or excuse me, almost $3 million, 2.95 million in 2023. And that, um, that actual levy rate will be determined once the final assessed valuation is settled. Looking at our 22 property tax allocation, it's important to recognize that the city of Shoreline is just one recipient of our um, residents' property tax dollars. So out of every dollar paid by Shoreline property owners, um, the city in 2022 got 11 cents. We're not able to update this dollar bill for 2023 until after all of those entities have set their rates. Um, so. We anticipate, though, it will look similar to this as it has for many years. Looking at sales tax, of course, at number two revenue source, this chart shows the um, historical as well as the projected revenues. You do see that our 2023 budget is um, projected to be less than our 2022 year-end estimate. And that is based upon our Puget Sound Economic Forecasters um, data. We do, um, we do see that it picks up a little bit in 2024 as well as 2025 and 26. General fund reserves, this chart shows um, our reserves including our revenue stabilization fund. The green line is that revenue stabilization fund at the top. And we anticipate that ending the biennium at um, just under $7 million, 6.83 million dollars. The red section is the portion of our reserves that have been designated. So that means that council has identified um, a specific use for those funds. And then the blue portion of the um, chart is the undesignated. And we're anticipating with the proposed budget that our undesignated general reserves would be at um, 10.3 million at the end of 2024. So as we look at our street fund and the funding for that, that um, is funded primarily with fuel tax, which I'll talk about in a second, but we also have significant support from our general fund transferring into the street fund. So looking at our um, fuel tax, we see that it, it has been growing and um, returning. We were significantly impacted during the pandemic um, because this is a consumption-based tax. So while our 
fuel prices might be going up, it's the actual consumption that impacts the amount of revenue that we receive. Looking at our surface water revenue, um, Revenues. We have the management fee, which is a primary revenue source that supports all of our um, surface water management operating and capital projects. And we do are proposing a 5% increase um, in the rate, which is consistent with the last rate study. The city will be undertaking an updated rate study in 2023. Um, and so while we're projecting that amount into our out years, that may change um, based upon that rate study as they look at the capital needs and the proactive management strategy. Wastewater, again, as council knows, we have done a comprehensive rate study for um, wastewater in 2022 and have had several conversations with council about that. So the outcome of that has been included in the proposed budget and does include a $4.10 um, rate increase for our residential customers. Looking at the um, jurisdiction comparisons, we see that um, we are still at the median with the um, 2023 proposed rate, and that is compared to other cities, um, other cities' 2022 rates. We have contacted several cities and um, have confirmed that that most every city we have talked to has has confirmed that they are having rate increases this year as well. And so um, we haven't talked to everybody or gotten specific dollar amounts, but it is um, safe to say that our position in the median will stay. Looking at our capital funds, primary um, source there is actually real estate excise tax. Um, also, it is supported by grants as well as we have some debt funding in our capital funds, um, particularly around our parks bond projects. But um, this shows our projections for real estate excise tax that are supporting our capital funds in the coming years. So with that, I would um, ask that the mayor would open the public meeting to take comment on our um, 2023 property tax levy as well as our proposed revenues for the 23-24 biennium. Thank you, Ms. Lane. <clears throat> and this, of course, is one in a series of uh, meetings we've had on this topic. Tonight's pr purpose is to get the public input on it. So I'd like to go ahead and open up the public hearing. Like regular public comment, public testimony is limited to three minutes per person testifying. Has anyone signed up in advance for this particular agenda item? No one pre-registered for this particular public right. hearing. And no one signed up in person tonight? No. All right, so thank you. So if there is anyone in the audience who would like to speak on this, please just come up to the podium. By all means, yeah. Just ready to go right ahead. And then afterwards, I'll ask if there's anyone on the Zoom application who'd like to speak. Again, we ask you to limit it to three minutes and that you introduce yourself by your uh, name and city of residence. My name is John Brady. I belong, I'm with the, I'm, I'm sorry. My name is John Brady. I live here in Shoreline and I'm not speaking as the American Legion. Um, I did have a question in regards to the uh, uh, calculations used. There was a, in, uh, a section in there about road tax, road maintenance, based upon fuel consumption. Uh, based upon taxes for that. I myself have a Prius. <laughs> I run about 48 to 50 miles to the gallon. And when I'm not on that, I'm on a bike. So I'm concerned that it looked as though as the calculations were going up slightly over the years as fuel consumption was supposed to be anticipated to be increasing. Either that's based upon increased population but there's also a push for electric vehicles. 
So what is the possibility of us actually having less income coming in due to the push for electric vehicles, but yet the vehicles still need to go on these roads and we're having less maintenance funds available to us? Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Brady. Anyone else in the audience? All right, anyone on the Zoom application who would like to testify, just push the raise the hand button at the bottom of the Zoom window, or if you're calling us on the phone, please uh, just push star nine to raise your hand. We'll go ahead and give it about 10 seconds for folks to do that. Have you seen anybody, Ms. Someone checks No one has raised their hand. All right, thank you. So I'm gonna go ahead and close the public hearing. Ms. Lane, would you like to address the comments made before we open up discussion? Um, I would address those. So we are anticipating that growth is actually getting us back to where we had been pre-pandemic. And we are actively watching the um, the revenue streams and looking at, we have several sources that are the basis for our projections. We use the MRSC as well as the state, um, state recommendations. And so our basis um, for those projections come from those sources. So I, I believe that they're conservative. We take a very conservative approach to, to our revenue projections, but we are aware of the fact that um, the goal would be to reduce consumption of tax, um, but we did take quite a hit on that revenue source during the pandemic while people were no longer commuting. And so I believe that is the, um, the reason they're increasing. Councilman Roberts. Uh, thank you, Mayor. A couple of questions. First, to follow up on that, uh, the fuel tax is uh, the state, it's collected statewide and then divvied up by population. So even as more people might be driving hybrids and electric vehicles within the Puget Sound region, if that, if people are still purchasing gas elsewhere across the state, it's still divided per, by per capita, correct? Correct. Okay. My second question also is, um, comes um, from looking at the REIT uh, revenues. Um, it's projected that there is a, a jump in 2023 back on from 2022. Um, is there particular, uh, is it, well, you see, we see that, um, Sales tax is projected to slightly decrease from 2022 to 2023, but is it there the expectation that the real estate market is going to improve upon 2022? When we did the um, estimate for that, we have like eight different models that we ran for our REIT. And, in, and I may actually um, ask Christy Hopkins, who's online, my phone a friend, just to confirm what I'm about to say. but. I believe our 2022 year-end estimate may be overly conservative. So when we ran those models, we chose um, we chose what we believe is still a conservative REIT estimate, but not as conservative as we have used historically. So I think when we should when we were projecting for 2022, we just said let's project budget, and um, and yet we. Did we took a lot of different looks at the um, at the REIT models and worked with um, Tricia Youngke and to to verify so that um, trying to find that sweet spot remaining conservative so we don't over over program and at the same time um, recognizing that we have been consistently way over collecting and we want we have lots of projects to to fund. Okay, 
yeah, no, I just just wanted some clarification on that. With it, I know that it, it looked, it did, it does look odd, and I, I maybe should have called that out as I as I looked at it. That that's what our year end projection was just at budget, but we actually do anticipate we are exceeding that even in 2022. Okay, yeah, I know that uh, the housing market's interesting right now. <laughs> yes, it is. It is definitely, and and we took that into account as we were as we were looking that looking back at what happened in 2008 mm -hmm. and um, you know balancing as i said we we ran many scenarios and uh, if you don't have an answer right now it's sort of one last sort of follow up to mm -hmm. that just for, to but if you can get back to us with this answer um, i wonder how much of the reit is sort of sales of large sort of commercial properties and multifamily residential versus um, residential sort of single family residential mm. um, because I know that how often a commercial property sells has a, can really play a big change in how much read is collected yes I will I will get back to that because we do we did take that into account in our in our and in fact we eliminated a certain number of sales over a million dollars or under, and and so I can I we do have that detail, so I can provide that in the matrix. Thank you, thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Other questions or comments, Councilmember Povey. Thank you, Mayor. Um, my question goes to I mean, it's on what was on the consent account uh, kind of the grant from Commerce was that uh, included in the projections for revenue in general. I'm, I do not believe at this point that it is included in there, but I will need to get back to you on that just to confirm. Okay. There was a follow-up, but since we, we can't get solid on that, that's okay. Mm -hmm. And then on B&O uh, tax, I haven't seen any uh, records so far about um, funds that have come in from that. You have any idea what we got in 2020 and 2021? We have done well with 2020 and 2021, and um, let me, Christy, can you, um, do you have that at your fingertips? Um, I can pull it up. It'll take me a second. Thank you. So we did increase, given the fact that we now have multiple years of B&O experience, we actually have increased our B&O projections. Um, to, to align more closely with what our actual experience has been. We were very conservative initially because we didn't have um, any longitudinal data. And now after several years, um, we feel confident in increasing our projections for those. That's right. So that's what I was thinking. And so yeah. what um, were the uh, deciding factors for projection? That's what I was thinking. So 2020 and 2020. Thank you. Other questions? I'd like to loop back to your answer to Councilman Roberts' question because I didn't understand it. When, when you said the 2022 revenue was at budget, what did you mean by at budget? Well, when in our year-end projections, um, we just projected it to be equal to the amount we had budgeted, even though, I mean, in the, when we were doing those projections, it was fairly early. We felt confident we were going to collect at least what budget was, but in all honesty, we're anticipating collecting more. What we didn't want to do was necessarily program that in in this CIP. So we so we said we know our year year indexments are hitting our budget projections 
And so that was what we projected. However, as we were projecting into the future years, we use the information of the actual collections in our models. So that's why it, it looks funny, and I, and I apologize for that. In hindsight, we probably should have increased our year-end estimate. Right, and, and again, I'm not criticizing, I'm just making yeah. sure I understand. So at, at, in the past, at some point, we came up with a budget which was based upon an estimate with old data, necessarily. Exactly. Towards the end of the year, we could have taken more recent data and changed that estimate but we chose not to do that. We chose to say, okay, it's going to be at least that, so we'll just leave it at what we originally estimated. Exactly. Okay. All right. Any further questions on that or anything else? No. Thank you, Ms. Lane. Okay. Um, we're going to go on to the next public hearing, and if you want to just go right ahead. Great. Okay. So, back up. Um, so this public hearing focuses on the budget as a whole, and primarily my comments are going to focus on the expenditure side of the budget since we just talked about revenues. So the question is, where does the money go? And 35% of the budget does support, and this is the full city budget, that $358 million amount, um, supports city services. 38% is in our capital budget, and then you see with our surface water and wastewater utilities um, at 15 and 8%. Then looking at appropriations by fund, um, this slide details each of those with the major major funds being there and then a subtotal by the various fund types with our general fund at about $118 million and that street fund at almost $5 million with the total at the bottom of being $358 million. Then when we look at the operating budget expenditures by function, um, we see that public safety does um, does take about 32% of our um, operating budget. And then parks and recreation, 11%, planning, community development, 8%, public works, 12%. Support services do take up 22% of our budget, and that would be all of the um, services that you learned about before, including you know, legal, administrative services, city manager, city council. And then our capital improvement plan, um, we see that our facilities and parks is about 32% of the budget with 20 projects, and transportation is 68% of the capital um, CIP projects with 44 projects and um, almost $91.5 million. And facilities major maintenance um, is a very small piece of that capital pie. Looking at our um, two enterprise funds, we have surface water utility, and we see that that is um, primarily um, supporting um, capital investments at 56%, with 37% being our the management of our surface water um, utility. And then um, on the wastewater utility, we have capital being 29% and management being 65%. So our, um, we will also be adopting a fee schedule with resolution number 496 on November um, 21st. We're taking action on that fee schedule. And um, our recommended fee changes are generally increased by CIP. That's the 10.14% and incorporate cost recovery objectives. Um, we do have the wastewater and surface water rate increases that I already discussed earlier. And then um, you do see in the attachment B 
that the fees are presented with a comparison of the 2022 fees and the 2023 fees. Any other changes outside of just the increase from year to year are um, annotated with a strike through and bold. So with that, I would ask the mayor to open for public comment. All right, I'll go ahead and open the public comment uh, portion. Do we have anyone signed up for public testimony? Kathleen Russell signed up for this hearing. All right, and we'll go ahead and take no one in person, right? No one pre-registered pre in okay. person. All right, let's take Ms. Russell first and then we'll open it up to anyone else. Public testimony is limited to three minutes per person testifying. And Ms. Russell, if you can go ahead whenever you're ready and just uh, introduce yourself by name and city of residence. Hi, this is Kathleen Russell, resident of Shoreline on behalf of Safe Shoreline Trees. After reading the staff biennial budget matrix, response to council member Mork's question regarding the budget for the climate action plan. We now understand staff will seek state and federal funding for the pri primary elements of the CAP, including electrification and transportation projects. Therefore, since there is not sufficient funding for the natural envi environment in the recommended cap budget, we ask council to include two items in the 2023-2024 biennial budget. First, please extend the Morgan Geographics contract to map significant public street trees and shorelines heat islands and mandate that these trees be retained for the duration of Climate Emergency Resolution 494. And second, fund an urban tree canopy study to confirm the current tree canopy percentage in shoreline, which was 31% in 2009, uh, 2009 and increased to 37% in 2017. We ask that funding for both of these requests be included in the 2023 calendar year. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Russell. Is there anyone in person who would like to testify? Anyone online, if you were interested in testifying, please either press the raise your hand button or dial star nine if you're on the telephone. No one has raised their hand. All right, so I'll go ahead and close the public hearing and now we're on to discussion. Are there questions or comments from council? Councilmember Povey. Thank you so much. And so um, if we look at three significant changes here and we see about 15.5 uh, increase in the city's enterprise funds. I'm key on that because it has possibly different set of uh, fiscal policies that applies to that. I think my main concern will be reserves. Now if when it comes to the capital projects I don't think there's I don't have any concerns with that but when it comes to ops how are we plan in such a way that enterprise funds are running the same way that the rest of the um, city operations is being run when it comes to reserves. Are we independently um, mm -hmm. setting those aside and in compliance just like we will have for general? Yes, yes. And in fact, as we look at our rate study, um, for both the surface water and the wastewater, maintaining those levels of reserves are part of the equation. So as we set our rates, um, we're taking into account not only the operating costs as they are anticipated to grow, the capital costs as they've been programmed in the um, master plans, but also 
the need to maintain our operating reserves and um, and coverage ratios. So we take those into account as we're setting the rates. And then as we do our six-year plan, that is actually a piece of the CIP. So if you actually look at the um, CIP page for the wastewater and surface water, you can see that, that those reserves and the coverage, making sure that we're meeting those policies is being taken into account. Thank you. Other questions or, or comments? Councilman Roberts. Uh, thank you, Mayor. I have a couple of questions. Um, first, uh, during the city manager's report, there was talk about the severe weather shelter, which is open during um, severe weather, I mean, severe cold weather events. Um, I, there was a question that was brought up to when, about a month ago now, when we had a smoke event. I was wondering if there is anything that either the city or can do to sort of provide sort of shelter for individuals who, or just as clean rooms, um, because many homes in the shoreline do not have adequate sort of ventilation to keep smoke out of their houses. Um, I'm wondering if there is any programs or anything that has been sort of talked about at the staff level to sort of provide space, healthy space for people during a severe smoke events. And I expect that will be coming back to us. <laughs> yes, I will definitely add that into the matrix because I think there's definitely people who are more qualified than I am to answer it um, unless um, acting city manager John Norris would, would like to speak to it now. Yeah, I can just provide a couple of quick comments, Council Member, and then I do think we can add that question to the matrix and provide a more comprehensive response. Um, it is something that definitely staff is looking at uh, going into next year, um, whether we have the capability of providing overnight shelter or, uh, you know, sleeping accommodations, I think maybe is what you were re referencing for folks who um, are sensitive to the smoke or, or can't uh, get out of the smoke uh, is one thing. Definitely a day, day shelter and ability to get out of the smoker or uh, we have now had a, uh, over the summer as well some heat-related uh, uh, day shelters. And so we are putting together uh, in our emergency management program a, a smoke and heat-related uh, response plan. Um, there isn't anything in this budget that specifically speaks to uh, implementation of that as it is still being put together, uh, but that is something we can bring back to council uh, next year. Thank you. Um, a couple other quick questions. Um, first, on the urban uh, tree canopy, I know there's been a schedule for these um, events. Can do you can you remind us when the next scheduled tree canopy study would be to take place? Staff had been targeting 2025, I believe, and so not within this biennium, but uh, the next biennium, part of the reason for that is uh, uh, there will be a lot of tree planting done as part of the Sound Transit Linwood Link Extension project. And so that um, uh, providing for a, a canopy study a couple years out, I think will incorporate a lot of the additional trees that will be planted as part of that project and of course as part of other projects that occur in the city between now and then. And uh, if you can remember, um, if you can remind me and the rest of the council, 
did we, I mean, I think we intentionally set that date when we last did a study, but did we have a rate, it was a regular six year cycle that we sort of agreed to or do you? That date was intentionally discussed and set with the council. I don't recall if there was a, a specific cycle or time frame, but we can, we can add that to the matrix as well and get okay. back to council on that. Thank you. And then finally, so, um, we heard from public comment tonight about the city's maintenance program, especially around um, right-of-way. Um, I know this has been something that the community has long desired, and I think I know that, however, I mean, our citizen satisfaction survey says it's an important thing to do, but it's not a priority that the uh, community has done. Is there anything in this budget to sort of enhance um, some of the programs, right-of-way maintenance, uh, going into the next biennium? I believe that there are some proposals in there that, um, that would address some of the concerns, but um, if you'd like, we can have um, Public Works yes. give more detail on that. Sounds great. Thank but, you. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Mayor. Council Republic. Thank you so much, uh, Mayor. Uh, if you don't mind giving us a little detail on what's going to happen in 2024 in relation with surface water utility from 5.6 to 10 million and draws back to normal, what's, what's happening in there? And my guess is it's capital projects yes. um, is almost always because in those enterprise funds, it includes both the operating and the capital projects. And the timing of capital projects is very, you know, dependent and on when they happen, when they can, when they can be programmed. Usually they're dependent upon other things occurring first. So it, it leads to a lot more volatility in the, um, in those funds. So budgetary. Okay. Councilmember Mark. Thank you, Mayor. I have a whole bunch of questions. Uh, this is my first uh, budget thing, and it's it's really quite fascinating. Uh, one of the first ones is the difference between surface water and wastewater utilities, and the percent for capital versus the percent for operations. Could you explain why they're so different? I cannot explain that, but I could certainly add that to the matrix and um, and ask our public works to to provide some additional information on that. Thank you. Uh, as you know, I'm very interested in grants and trying to make sure that the city maximizes the grants that we have coming to us. I know you've indicated that we do very well, but I don't I don't know what that means other than the list that you gave, which I really appreciated. Uh, what my question is, is do we feel that as a city that if we, that we have optimized the resources to get grants, find grants and get grants versus the grant money? Obviously you could apply to every single grant out there and it wouldn't be worth it. Or you could apply to only a very few and be leaving a lot of money on the table. And I'm just trying to understand if the city feels we're optimized. And if we're not, if we need to put some money into people to do that work. Thus far, um, I, I believe I think that we are um, well staffed for seeking grant opportunities. 
We did have a centralized resource and um, through a reorganization, we shifted that um, into community services, although we do have some grant accountability in accounting that, that is supporting making sure that we're complying with all the rules around those grants. Um, and that shift has actually seemed to work well. So departments were already doing the work themselves and the coordinator was keeping track of it and helping, helping support them. But what we did was we shifted to having resource funds available. So we have some um, contingency money. So if somebody is applying for a grant where they feel like they need some special expertise to help write that grant, we have resources that they can use to help that. And I know that um, Public Works is, is actually just now planning on taking advantage of that because they have some grants coming up and they say we, we could use some help. Um, but thus far, they were already doing that that work themselves. And um, so we, we thought this shift, and it, it has worked out well, but we certainly will continue to monitor it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, there's so much money that is, the whole climate change uh, event, there is so much money that nobody really understands how it's going to work. And I wanna make sure that Shoreline gets everything that we can. So that's why I just wanna make sure that we have adequate funding to get those grants. Um, for the climate action plan, it's an existential threat for us. And I'm so concerned that we have budgeted money to take action. And I wasn't sure, uh, I appreciate your telling me that there was the, the 247,000 uh, that has already been allocated plus a few projects, but I wasn't quite sure exactly uh, what was in there. And I wanna make sure that we do things. We have a, we're trying to get 60% reduction and by 2030, we can't sit on our hands. So I'm, I'm really concerned on, on trying to get there. And um, so there's some short term, I appreciate as we think through things, there's some things that take a while to figure out what to do. And so there's, you, you can't instantly turn on a dime. But there's other things that would seem like they might be able to, um, to be done quickly. And those are the ones that I'm particularly trying to make sure that the city feels comfortable in doing quickly. And, uh, you know, there's so much uncertainty that I'm certainly not gonna go down through all of them, but just trying to give you uh, some examples. Is the uh, tree-related code enforcement, is that part of the budget in any way? Enhancing tree-related code enforcement, ES 1.13. I um, will need to add that to the matrix. Okay, okay. That urban forestry and electrifying the city fleet. I read about the Ford F-150 Lightning, so thrilled uh, that, we, that that uh, I believe is in the budget, but I'm concerned that we have a plan for our fleet. I don't, is our fleet 30 cars or 300 cars? I don't know. <laughs> And so it's hard for me to sit here and say what we should do, other than I wanna make sure that we are starting thinking about it. And we're, we certainly will roll into more later, but, but this coming by end, I mean, we need to do something. Um, the, another one as an example that I'm thinking is 
is, and I is an example of things to talk about is the encourage electric car sharing, which is TM 2.1. That's one where the planning, uh, planning as you're thinking about putting up these buildings, you can set aside parking spots for ride sharing. The TMP probably has something to do with it. Is there funding put aside? I there I believe, but we'll we'll get the official answer. But I do believe that there is some okay. funding. I'll also back up um, to the electrification, uh -huh. and we have been um, completing a study on the electrification oh. of our fleet. Okay, and we we got a grant to do that, and so um, so the study has been. We it has not completed, so it couldn't be put into this yeah. budget. Yeah. But we anticipate that we'll be looking at that in the scheme with all of our replacement funding. But as we did our replacement funding for this study, we anticipated oh, good. The, the cost. So I'm thinking that there won't be a huge new ask to get that plan rolling. Oh, that's wonderful news. Cause and, and then on urban forestry, uh -huh. we are adding that a half of an FTE to help support our urban forestry program. Is so that in the levy lid lift or is that in the base That budget? is in the proposed budget. So that one already is funded. That is, okay. that is well, okay. if council approves the appro proposed budget. Perfect. City sustainable purchasing. So that is a low hanging fruit. It's on every single greenhouse gas survey out there. Where are we? Is there funding for it? The, um, they have been working on a city sustainable purchasing plan and it's actually been adopted and is in place. Now, whether there are additional updates to that with the we, climate action plan, we, but, but we, are, we are working on it. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, perfection, we, we, we all, continuous improvement is what we need to do. So I'm not asking for perfection, I'm just actually asking for action. Um, I'm really concerned about community garden, garden spaces. That's an equity issue. Uh, that is CRP 2.5. And I appreciate that it takes a little bit longer to do. But with all the new people coming in in apartments, I think it's really important for the city to start. Do you, have an, do you know anything? I, um, what I do know is that during the CFT process, a um, nonprofit got approval to purchase a plot of land and was, will be doing another community garden in Shoreline. Um, our spaces are not, not growing in this proposed budget, uh -huh. but that is a whole property that is being purchased specifically for, um, for community gardens. So, so it is additional community gardens in Shoreline, which will be very helpful. Oh, that's, that's, we are not sitting on our hands. I think that's really important. Yeah. The uh, two things uh, that I do think are really important is identifying the public street trees and heat zones. Is that funded? The um, mapping of the street trees is something that we have been eking away at, and um, there is not a funded project for it. It's something we're doing slowly through our, um, through our operating budget. I have actually asked um, to say what would be the cost to, to get it all done and the t how long would that take so I can provide that to you hopefully soon. Thank you. And then the, the final thing, and thank you, Mayor, for your patience here as I go through all this. The, the urban canopy study uh, using the same methodology, 
I appreciate the um, what uh, Mr. Norris has said about uh, why it was scheduled for 2025. But I think it's really important. Uh, we're probably, with all the construction going on, at the lowest part point we will be. And I think it's important for people to have an idea of where that is so that we can document how we're getting better. And that, to me, is an important thing. And I'd be curious how much money would need to be put aside to do that. And I will get an estimate on that for you as well. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Other questions or comments from Council? Councilor McConnell. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, since I've been gone for some of these discussions, I uh, want to thank Councilmember Mork for bringing up the funding for the Climate Action Plan. And uh, it does take a little bit of courage for you council members to ask questions because some of them are so basic that uh, I hardly have any questions because I've been through this so many times that I want to give kudos to the staff for doing the, uh, the grants. <clears throat> and that started pretty early on when I came in because I do believe that matching funds are really important. So if you feel you need to come back to council, I think there'll be several of us, maybe more, that would really encourage the adequate funding for for getting grants because you know as you know it's all good money that would go somewhere else if uh if we weren't doing it and the same with staffing if, if you know sometimes if that's an issue um you know there's a lot of money out there especially for climate action things and uh you know probably depends a little bit on the politics but but we are you know behind the the eight ball on this, uh, not just we, you know, the planet. Uh, the other thing I wanted to thank, <clears throat> um, back in 2007, uh, right before I came on council, the council uh, who, who doesn't exist here, none of the members, they um, authorized the stabilization fund. And it might not have been exactly that year, but but it was around that year. It, it was in, the, in, in your memo. That was the best thing that the, that council had done for the stability of our uh, of our city, and particularly when COVID hit um, the pandemic, some of us who went to National League of Cities, uh, well, most of us who went, heard how dire um, the conditions were in other cities who didn't have this kind of large funding mechanism to fall back on. So I want to, you know, give uh, staff all the way from the top to, uh, to uh, the budget department for realizing that that has really uh, kept us from having the ups and downs that happened during the, the pandemic. I was so proud to be able to say that at meetings that we really didn't have that kind of problem. The other thing, um, Climate Action Plan, I know Councilmember Mork went into it a lot of great detail, but I definitely feel like we are so far behind. And politically, if things don't get better, we're going to be even further behind. And a lot of it is not up to us as a city because we piggyback on the state and the federal. So uh, I don't know what else to offer for a question on that, but we really need to consider 
that we're so far behind already. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at my next car being an EV car. I have a hybrid. I'm on my second or third hybrid. It's not enough. I'm looking at solar panels. It's not enough here. It's not the best place to have solar panels. But, you know, we all have to think about these fossil fuels and, uh, and traveling and things that are really not helping uh, global warming. So, oh, the final thing, I, I had a, a quite, well, actually, maybe it was an interaction with Councilmember uh, Roberts who asked about the uh, cost of turf fields at Shoreview Park. And I wondered whether that was a discussion or just a, a interest because my feeling about turf fields is they're dangerous, they're, um, there's more injury prone. Um, you know, we, we did a lot of, I did a lot of reading when it gets hot, it really gets hot on those plastic uh, materials. So, uh, and, and, and that is one of our fields. So, so I would probably like to have more of a discussion if we start talking about the kind of materials we would put there. Other than that, I've been here so long, and when Debbie Terry was finance director, I spent hours before I was on the council asking her in uh, private meetings. So I am sure you're available for that, for, for the new uh, members, because it really is very, very complicated. And there's a lot of funding that, uh, you know, we just rattle it off because we've, we know what's, what it means. but. You know, even the word enterprise funds, if you don't know what that means, you really don't know what's going on. So I encourage any of you to make, um, you know, even one hour would be probably just super to um, have uh, Miss Lane educate you and even us old people, old timers who do forget. So thank you very much for, for your continued work on budgeting. It's very critical for the city. Thank right. you. Other questions or comments from council? Councilman Ramsdale. Thank you, Mayor. Um, this is my first time going through the budget process too. So um, I have a question that may seem very uh, rudimentary, but um, when I was going through um, the documentation under surface water fees versus surface water utility fund contributions as well, what's the difference between a water fee and a fund contribution? I was like, I, I had a hard time understanding under, under the reven, uh, revenues uh, section. I, I'm guessing that it's a use of fund balance, and okay. um, it's on page 17. Right. Sorry, which yeah. one? It was page 17 um, of the so, staff report or of the presentation. The staff, staff, staff report. report. Yeah. Um, so I was trying to understand that because it seemed like the the fees uh, and the contributions, the fees are much larger than the contributions, both for the surface water fees as well as the wastewater wastewater. Um, fees and fund contributions. So I was just trying to understand like what Let under me, resources what those, yeah. what those are. I, I, I believe that it's probably talking about the fund balance that yeah. so with particularly, well, even with the general fund, any, any revenues that come in over that year's um, expenditures go mm. into a fund balance for use later for okay. purposes and, and in, in those capital, fund, or excuse me, in the enterprise funds, and that's part of our, you know, 20 year plan that we anticipate building up those reserves so that we can use them in those, those one time. Okay. I am 
99% sure that that's the answer to your question. Okay. If All I right. see anything different, I will put a clarification right, in the in the matrix. I really appreciate it. Um, the other question I had is um, regarding uh, enterprise funds again. Um, to what degree? I mean, setting aside like the one-time capital funds for the for the uh, purchase around wastewater, um, um, uh, and I'm, I'm just kind of wondering how to what degree do revenues offset? Um, uh, uh, expenses uh, or uh, so is, is there is are in, we roughly one on one or like in the yeah. enterprise funds it is generally a hundred percent with grants filling in yeah. um, the the general fund would rarely they can they're hmm. you know legally we the general fund is able to um, subsidize enterprise funds enterprise funds are not able to subsidize other funds so they can provide contributions if there is if they're buying a service or you know contributing like to the vehicle maintenance fund for their vehicles they can contribute but they're very protected um, so what that means is that generally we plan to ensure that the that the rates charged by those utilities cover all of their planned operating and capital okay. expenditures great thank you thank you very much other questions or comments? Councilmember Mork. I'm sorry to do this again. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Ms. Lane. You, have, you really are a wonderful explainer. The utility tax, is that part of the general fund or the is that go to the enterprise funds? The utility tax goes to the general fund. So it's an expense of the enterprise fund and it, it then funds the general fund. So that is a tax for the privilege of operating operating that utility and the six percent is based on the six percent of what it is six percent of the of the rates the revenue of okay. the okay. of the utility thank you the other thing uh, that I forgot to mention is how uh, grateful I was to start discussing the right-of-way maintenance and I'm very glad that uh, Councilmember Roberts brought that up as a question so we could learn more about that. Thank you. All right. Further questions or discussion? All right. Thank you. Just a couple things. First of all, I would encourage us with the detailed questions to get them in in advance. We have not yet budgeted money to assimilate Ms. Lane and connect her brain to everybody else's. And we can give her, give her a chance up front. We tend to get better information. So thank you for your presentation tonight. And that's not to express unhappiness with any questions. They're all good questions. Um, it's just hard for her to get the details at her fingertips. And so now that I've said that, I'm going to ask you a detailed question. Um, so the, the roadway maintenance, my recollection of that is that we did that three or four years ago, and we used to outsource it, and it was somewhat cheaper. We had that summer where three contractors in a row quit, and we just weren't. It just wasn't done, and the city looked terrible. So we brought that in-house more to make it consistent than for either a cost savings or a quality improvement, and hopefully we'll get to quality improvement also. My question, though, is about parks maintenance, where we've had a, seen a significant need. My question is whether that extra parks maintenance worker we budgeted, whether that's Prop 1 dependent or whether that's in the existing budget. It is in the existing budget, and half of it, half it's a one FTE with half of it being funded as a conversion of extra help, so it's not an increase in capacity. But Except that we think it will be better because we will have a consistent person rather than having to fill extra help positions multiple times over a season. So we believe it will help our quality of services and that does sanitation, primarily sanitation work for the parks. The other half of the position is that 
to support urban forestry. And, um, and that is included in the budget. It's funded from the capital budget where we get the King County um, Parks Levy funding. And so that is able to support urban forestry. And so that is how that is funded. So it is currently in the budget. Thank you. Other questions or comments from council? No? All right, can you give us next steps? I can. Yeah. I have a slide for that. So um, <laughs> we are asking that um, council does provide their um, amendments to us by the end of day on Wednesday, November 9th, with the plan that we will um, discuss all the proposed amendments at our meeting on November 14th as part of that public hearing and discussion. And then we will return to you on November 21st for action on Ordinance 972, 973, and Resolution Number 496. Thank you much. And I would really encourage folks to get those amendments in. Um, this is our chance. And that's a comment for new and old staff members alike. This is our chance to say, I want budget funding to be elsewhere, either more or less or different. It's our chance to say we want a full-time urban forester. This is our chance to say we want a particular sidewalk. When it's eight months down the line, we can always amend the budget, but it is much more of a process. And so it's, it's tough to do sometimes looking into the future to see what we're going to want, but this is the best time to do it. So if folks have them, you can get them in by November 9th. The advantage of that date is we will know at least the first uh, election results and whether we have a Prop 1 budget or, or not. So thank you, Ms. Lane. And if there's nothing further from Council, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to seeing those in the next couple days. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Next up is uh, study item 9A, which is a discussion of the draft 2022 climate action plan. And I think Mr. Reed is presenting remotely. Hello, yes, can you hear me okay? Uh, give me just, give us, is that it? Where's that? Okay, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Mr. Reed. Okay, great, let me uh, share my screen here. Very well. you, you aren't speaking very loudly. Can you speak a little bit louder, please, Mr. Reed? Okay, sorry, can you hear me okay? Yeah, can we increase his volume at all, Ms. Um, Yes, I can increase the mics, the speakers in the council chamber, but it might be his mic. Okay, give me one second. Let me uh, switch my audio here. Apologies for that. Can you turn it down while he's doing that? Yeah, I have it up all the way right now. But so. turn, turn it down. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Uh, is that better, Council? Yeah, it's. It, can we now just turn it all the way back up and see what we got? Okay. Uh, tr try it again, Mr. Reed. Okay. Can you hear me? It's it's not ideal, but I, it's it's enough to proceed. Okay. Yeah. But pl please go ahead. Okay. So sorry about that. Um. And it looks like you're seeing my screen. Okay. Yep. Okay. Great. Uh, good evening, Mayor and Council Members. So I am here to present the Draft Climate Action Plan update for your discussion tonight. So this is a discussion item. No uh, action is required tonight. And it is scheduled to return as an action item at the December 12th meeting. <clears throat> and by way of context, uh, the city has had goals to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions that are driving climate change since 2013 uh, with our first climate action plan. Uh, as a member of the King County Cities Climate Collaboration or K4C, we share a set of greenhouse gas reduction targets 
and joint action commitments with 21 other jurisdictions in King County. And uh, Council Member Mork participates uh, in that body on behalf of the city. And then in 2019, we amended the comprehensive plan to add a goal of reducing emissions to the level needed to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. So this is the, the threshold identified in the Paris Climate Agreement, and uh, which is re widely recognized as the level beyond which uh, the impacts of climate change really become uh, catastrophic. And then in December 2021, the city joined the Race to Zero campaign and updated our emissions reduction targets to represent uh, our fair share of achieving that 1.5 degree goal. So you can see those targets there on your screen. That's a 60% um, emissions reduction from 2019 levels by 2030, and then achieving 95% and net zero emissions by 2015, or sorry, 2050. Uh, and we have been measuring emissions from the shoreline community since 2009 and completed our most recent inventory um, of emissions using 2019 data. So as you can see, we have made some progress in reducing emissions despite a growing population. However, much more work is needed uh, to achieve our um, updated science-based targets uh, and really bend that, that orange line uh, downward there. And about 94% of our direct emissions in shoreline from the, the shoreline community come from fuel use in vehicles and fuel use for uh, heating our buildings. So that's primarily uh, oil heat and natural gas heating systems. And uh, so over the past year uh, and a half, um, we have been working to update the climate action plan to achieve uh, these three overarching goals. Uh, the first of which is to reduce emissions to reach our updated targets. Um, however, we also need to ensure that our community is prepared for and protected from the impacts of climate change that we are already seeing, um, such as extreme heat events, reduced air quality from wildfire smoke, and uh, increased winter flood risk, just to name a few. Uh, so this updated cap includes a focus area and strategies around increasing climate resiliency. And so that uh, touches our built environment and uh, emergency preparedness systems and resources. And lastly, um, we the updated cap also includes a focus area and goal to protect and restore local ecosystems. So this focus area was added in response to both community feedback and priorities um, and the scientific literature recognizing the role that ecosystems play in both removing carbon from the atmosphere um, and buffering some of the near-term impacts of climate change, in addition to the many other benefits they provide. And just an overview of the timeline. So again, we've been working for over a year on this plan, starting with the background uh, emissions inventory and technical analyses in 2021, and including uh, significant community engagement efforts, uh, primarily over the past year. Um, and we're now presenting the draft uh, representing both of those efforts. And so that, yeah, this climate action plan is the result of um, a thorough and intentional community engagement process that was designed to involve and center the voices of community members who are most vulnerable to climate impacts. Um, and this includes in shoreline, uh, youth, people of color, 
those with lower incomes or living uh, or those living with underlying health conditions or disabilities. Um, so these groups uh, are often referred to as frontline community members since they experience the impacts of climate change uh, first and, and more acutely typically. Uh, and we have conducted uh, community engagement at key stages of this process over the past year uh, that has influenced the shape of the, the plan, um, both the overall vision and priorities for the plan, as well as the actual content uh, of the focus areas, the strategies and actions. And to ensure that we were centering the voices of frontline community members in the planning process, we recruited a group of 11 community members to serve as community climate advisors. Um, and many of them had uh, lived experience as a, as a part of a frontline group. Um, advisors were compensated for their time to provide feedback on both the plan content and our engagement strategy and methods. Um, we also provided uh, engagement opportunities for the general public, including five virtual workshops, uh, two online surveys, and an online public comment portal. Uh, we conducted targeted engagement for specific groups that were identified as vulnerable to climate impacts, um, including uh, presentations at community group meetings, a student and youth forum, uh, and pop-up displays at key locations such as Hope Link Ronald Commons, the Shoreline Library, and the Shoreline Lake Forest Park Senior Center. Uh, summaries of the first two phases of engagement are included as appendices to the draft cap, and a summary of the third final phase of engagement is attached to tonight's staff report. Uh, one of the kind of foundational uh, analyses for the CAP was a wedge analysis to help us forecast the impact of population growth on future emissions and to identify a pathway to achieving our um, greenhouse gas reduction targets. And this model also estimates the impact of several existing policies at the state and federal level, as well as things we've implemented here in Shoreline that we can expect will significantly reduce uh, emissions uh, you know, moving forward. So the, the wedge is really shows three different scenarios. So uh, the top of this uh, graph is a dotted black line that would represents uh, sort of a business as usual no action scenario. And so, um, as you would expect, emissions increase significantly with uh, the population growth that we're projected to see here in Shoreline. However, everything in gray uh, represents the impact of policies already in place at the state or federal level um, that we can expect to significantly reduce emissions in Shoreline. So these are, in, in a sense, they're already happening. Um, they do need to be fully implemented, um, but we can, you know, with a high degree of confidence expect, uh, you know, emissions reductions from those policies. Uh, the blue represents actions we have already put in place or already taken here in Shoreline. So namely the uh, energy code updates last year, banning fossil fuel heating from new large buildings um, is shown there at the top blue band. And then uh, the second blue band is, uh, reflects our efforts to, um, center and support dense development around the light rail stations and other high capacity transit, as well as our investment in multimodal transportation infrastructure. And so together, those add up to some significant emissions reductions. Um, however, everything in green represents uh, emissions we will need to take additional action um, to reduce in order to reach our targets. 
Um, and the targets are represented there at the bottom by the stars. So um, there's different way to achieve those. And this cap, uh, this, this analysis shows a pathway focusing on uh, remaining emissions in existing buildings. So switching out heating systems to um, electric options, uh, continuing to work on supporting additional um, re reducing miles driven per person in the community and supporting adoption of electric vehicles. So those are the three primary pathways. There are also some additional gains to be had in waste reduction and recycling, um, but those are the much, much smaller by comparison. And I should just note, there's been a lot of other recent work in these areas uh, in additional state and federal um, legislation that has been passed since we created this um, that we can expect um, additional emissions reductions from. And the actions in the cap are arranged into five topical focus areas with key strategies and supporting actions under each. And so this chart shows the first three of those focus areas and uh, the strategies there. And so these first three focus areas are um, primarily focused on emissions reduction, uh, including those three pathways I mentioned. So continuing to reduce driving, accelerate adoption of electric vehicles, and helping existing buildings transition to clean and efficient electric heating equipment. And here are the last two focus areas. So these focus on uh, ecosystems and sequestration, primarily focused on supporting um, our urban forest, uh, both on private property and on city property through a variety of programs and policies um, with a couple of actions related to increasing uh, carbon sequestration in soils. And then lastly, the community resilience and preparedness section uh, which moves forward several recommendations from our 2020 climate impacts and resiliency study. Um, so those are strategies to increase resilience to uh, extreme heat, wildfire smoke, and flooding, among other impacts. We conducted a multi-criteria analysis to help us prioritize CAP actions across the five focus areas. And these are the criteria that we use to evaluate the actions. Uh, they reflect the results of our community engagement efforts from phases one and two, as well as existing city goals and commitments. So the goal of this analysis is to help us identify the most feasible and effective actions at reducing emissions that also align with the community's values and increase resiliency. So greenhouse gas reduction impact, as you can see, was heavily weighted to reflect our commitment to significant emissions reductions uh, through our existing policies through the K4C, the comp plan, and the, the, our updated targets. We also prioritized equity as a standalone criterion based on both community feedback and the city's commitment to anti-racism. We included resilience as a standalone criterion, again, based on both community feedback and to help us prioritize actions that both reduced emissions and increased community resilience. We assessed uh, cost, technical feasibility, and the level of community support for a particular action uh, in the feasibility criterion. And we also wanted to prioritize actions that provided co-benefits that were important to the community, specifically protecting public health and quality of life, uh, actions that provided cost savings to residents, and actions that supported ecosystem health more broadly. 
and again, these criteria were shaped by community input um, on what is was important to the community, both from our, our broader community engagement and our work with the community climate advisors. And so here is a sample. We have a larger graphic of this. Um, we, we ran 35 of the top priority actions through this framework. Um, and so you can see the results of that in your staff report. And this is just a snippet to make it a little bit more legible, um, but you can see how the actions compare to each other in terms of priority across the focus areas. So, um, you know, a larger bar there on the right would indicate a higher priority score. And you can see uh, the different colors in the bar correlate with the different criteria that we used. Um, so this exercise uh, demonstrates the important, uh, importance of some of the transportation and building energy actions. Um, but we also see, you know, ecosystems and sequestration actions. So that's the ES 1.9 there. Um, then a little bit lower down, we get to zero waste actions uh, and community resilience actions. Uh, now I will uh, do a bit of a whirlwind tour of the different CAP actions, um, but we'll just, we'll do the, introduce the top three the three top ranking actions from each focus area um, as sort of a sample of the content. Uh, and so here's the first section, first focus area is transportation and mobility. And the first strategy there is to uh, work on reducing community-wide driving. Um, and so the three strategies you can see there um, are to continue to increase and support density and walkability through our land use planning, uh, to continue to support transit-oriented development uh, and to roll out a commute trip reduction program that would uh, include businesses and employers in the city, helping them uh, take steps to reduce commute trips by their employees. Under the second strategy, under transportation uh, is related to electric vehicle adoption. And uh, so working to support electrification of partner fleets, such as at the school district or other utilities like uh, Recology, um, and increasing, enhancing our existing EV readiness ordinance um, that uh, spells out how, how many parking spots in new buildings need to have um, electrical infrastructure to support EV charging. So we can look at enhancing that requirement for new buildings. Uh, and then looking at directly installing uh, public charging stations in key locations throughout the city, both on city property and, and on private property. In the building and energy section, um, the top two are focused on helping existing buildings switch to efficient electric heating systems. So you can see the picture of a, a mini split heat pump there on the right. Um, and so providing a program to help homeowners make that switch and a program to support electrification at uh, existing multifamily and commercial buildings. Uh, and then encouraging uh, through our code, new homes to be all electric. On the zero waste side, so while waste is a small portion of our direct emissions, uh, it does have a significant impact if you consider the embodied emissions that occur outside of shoreline, but um, you know still have an impact on climate change. So it's very important to reduce waste. Uh, and at the September 26th meeting, you heard a presentation about the County Replus program. So this section move, moves forward some of those recommendations and strategies, uh, including the first one there, um, you know, to prohibit the disposal of food waste and other recyclable items and really require composting and recycling across the city uh, to provide community programs to reduce waste 
and uh, to look at policies to reduce single-use plastic food service items. In the ecosystems and sequestration focus area, these are the top three ranking actions. Um, so developing a community tree planting program to provide trees for planting uh, on private property, uh, to look at our uh, tree protection requirements during development and look at opportunities for increasing tree retention. Uh, and lastly, to expand our street tree planting efforts to look at expanding tree canopy in areas of the city that need it. And lastly, in the community resilience and preparedness section. Um, so in the short term, we want to enhance our community, our emergency preparedness efforts, um, such as uh, Council Member Roberts mentioned related to uh, wildfire smoke, um, extreme heat events, and also flooding, all of which are projected to worsen, uh, to continue worsening with climate change. Uh, and we need to make sure that those resources are available for those in our community who are most vulnerable to those impacts. Also, the second two look are, are more long-term, looking at our built environment. Um, so uh, retrofitting existing properties to be more climate resilient. Uh, this could be installing more trees and green space, adding rain gardens, or replacing traditional pavement with uh, permeable pavement. And uh, lastly, to uh, look at updating our development code and urban design standards to increase uh, resiliency to climate impacts, especially uh, urban heat. So that's a sample of the top three actions from each, each uh, focus area there. Um, we have also identified 10-year uh, costs for 10 of the top ranking actions in the CAP. Um, and that, was, that cost analysis was included as an attachment for your staff report. Um, this uh, is just the initial cost. So we are continuing to work with staff and consultants to build out uh, the costs for full CAP imp implementation uh, we do have some funding for CAP implementation in the proposed 23-24 base budget. However, additional funds will be needed for full implementation of the CAP. Uh, and we do expect, um, as others have noted, significant funding uh, to become available. Some is already available um, from both state and federal sources uh, to support building electrification programs, um, EV-related programs, uh, but also resiliency and urban forestry measures. So really a lot of the key actions we need to uh, fund here in Shoreline. And in terms of next steps, we will be making edits to the draft cap based on the final phase of community feedback and uh, on your feedback tonight. Uh, and we will return uh, with the final draft of the cap for council approval on at the December 12th meeting. Um, and in the meantime, we're also continuing to refine the cost analysis and develop the budget um, to present next year uh, in a mid biennium request to uh, fill in any gaps for cap cap implementation. And uh, just noting that those funding needs occur in various departments throughout the city. We're also working with staff to uh, flesh out and identify um, the implementation matrix that is at the end of the cap, uh, identify performance indicators so that we can track and measure our progress and establish a reporting framework. All right. Thank you, Mr. Reed. This is a study item, so we're gonna go straight to questions or comments from council. Councilmember Kobe. First of all, I just want to applaud you for, for this very detailed and uh, 
not just the presentation, but the other 192 pages. Um, three things I, I want to comment on. Number one, the cost analysis approach is fantastic, you know, and with several competing priorities for you to have the top 10 entire specific cost based on your research is uh, great, so thank you. And also you hammered on a key point, it was three on that slide, but I know the developer community tree planting program, which is I think essential. And the last is emergency preparedness planning. That's I think something we really need and education even in the community, in the city as a whole. But on that, I want to ask how is the emergency management office or manager uh, so far involved in this aspect? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, yeah, I've been working with our uh, emergency man uh, emergency management coordinator on uh, several of the draft um, recommendations that are really you know in in his um, wheelhouse. So yeah, they helped uh, develop the the action content in the community resilience section. But it's definitely it will be an ongoing conversation and something we'll look at together for. Um, you know, what's in our comprehensive emergency management plan related to heat and smoke and flooding, uh, and then making sure that those resources, whatever resources we are able to provide at the city, whether that's cooling centers or, um, you know, filter fan kits, you know, a number of different things we could do, uh, making sure those are getting out into the community to the folks that most need them. So we definitely will have been collaborating and will continue to collaborate closely with our emergency management staff. Thank you, Mr. Reed. Thank you, Mayor. Other questions? Councilor Roberts. Thank you, Mayor. I have a few <laughs> questions. Um, first, uh, my first question is something that is some good news, really good news. Um, the State Building Code Council did adopt its uh, new rules, uh, which would say that new, new uh, houses cannot, well, must use an electric heat pump. Um, and then they also, what the State Building Code Council also adopted rules that said that increased the ventilation requirements for any kind of uh, kitchen appliance. Um, both of those, uh, well, at least the first part is sort of addressed or is something we want the state to do or others to do um, in the climate action plan. Should we, since that action was taken, what are the thoughts about sort of taking that out as sort of a action that was done rather than keeping it in as one of the strategies? Yeah, that, thank you for that question and thank you for pointing that out. Um, that is indeed great news in terms of our um, climate footprint here in Shoreline. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we put it, we kept it in because we didn't know, you know, at the time that we were writing the cap whether or not you know, that would pass or not. Um, so we had kept it in, but we could look at, I can connect with our um, building code staff and see if uh, they would recommend taking it out at this point. Or acknowledge it in some place. Yeah. <laughs> um, Absolutely. And I mean, that's sort of the question. I mean, how much of this is in some of these recommendations are the stuff we need as Shoreline need to do and stuff we as Shoreline should be advocating for. Um, the next sort of question sort of goes to, or next couple of questions sort of goes to sustainable packaging and the like, which it really isn't quite addressed in the climate action plan, but indirectly, I think. Um, 
I know this is sort of outside of what Shoreline can do, but I mean, we do see lots of plastic in what we purchase as individuals and as families. And we see studies um, in news articles that show that, I mean, less than 10% or even less, at the most optimistic, less than 20 or less than 30% of, pl of, all, of plastic is being recycled. And I don't really see anything in this report about that kind of sustainable packaging. And then going even more specific, moving away from plastics for a second, um, we have, still have styrofoam, which is uh, allowed to be, is to be uh, used in the city of Shoreline. Um, I was looking it up and found that the question of a styrofoam ban was first brought up by uh, Council Member Yu back in 2009. Um, actually, she, I think she would have been mayor then. <laughs> um, and then when we adopted our ban on uh, single-use plastics, uh, we also at the time the council did talk about the need for a styrofoam ban at that point. And for some reason that has dropped off, our, I don't think it's been dropped off our radar screen, but it has not come back to council. So I'm one, what I'm not, I guess what I'm not seeing in the, in the climate action plan is really something strong about sustainable packaging and advocacy and efforts designed to reduce the amount of waste that comes into the city of Shore. I mean, single-use products that sort of come into the city of Shoreline that are just largely used for packaging or other sort of non-consumer, I mean, goods that are not necessarily for, products that are not for consumption, but just for bringing stuff home or bringing stuff into our office. So I don't know if you'd like to address any of that or if that's something that we need to think about adding. Yeah, no, thank you for that comment. Um, I did just want to point out that there is, um, and this is an area where, yeah, it, it would be likely something we would, we have been advocating for it, but we would continue to advocate for, um, would be um, extended, extended producer responsibility legislation, either at the state or federal level. Um, that would implicate uh, packaging producers in um, one, making their packaging more recyclable, and then two, funding the recycling systems for their packaging that they're selling uh, in our community. And there has been um, proposed legislation at the Washington state level. It did not pass uh, in the last cycle, um, but we have been working with the county to, um, yeah, to advocate for that. And that's something we, there is a, an action in the cap on that. Um, there also is a, a state styrofoam ban that is about to go into effect here in the next uh, couple of years, um, but we could also consider, um, yeah, passing something uh, uh, locally in advance of that. Okay. I think I was not aware of the state's styrofoam ban, so that's good news. Okay. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Councilmember. Other questions or comments? Councilmember Mark. Uh, thank you. Uh, Mr. Reed, what an impressive body of work. I really was uh, delighted to see the plan. It's going to be a great jumping off place for the city to get going. And I was uh, glad that you mentioned about the new um, toolbox that the King County has provided to help us understand our greenhouse gases. That's really going to be helpful. 
you know, to be successful, you have to have the whole society all pulling together. And we, we need to recognize that it's not uh, all the people contributing. And one, one group that I didn't hear about is business. And business is spending a lot of money on climate protection. Some of it is regulated, some of it is voluntary. But we're not giving them credit. And part of the thing I think we need to do as part of a city is to recognize what all groups are contributing. We are fortunate to have citizens who care deeply and are deeply involved. We have people advocating for things. We have businesses uh, spending money. One business may be better than the other, and we don't know it. And if there's ways to have a um, metric that is science-based, uh, you know, I, I would support the business that is more uh, resilient, more economically friendly. So part of that is to educate people on what laws uh, are being, that, that may not be laws that are, that are uh, the city is personally enforcing, but are impacting businesses so that people can have uh, an understanding of the kind of costs that businesses are doing and the impacts that, uh, that it'll have on all of us. And so I, I would encourage you to think broadly about the uh, different kinds of laws and regulations that businesses are doing and uh, give them credit where we can. We need them in the boat with us. We should do everything we can to get everyone to recognize that they are contributing and to get some uh, support for having done so. So uh, I would just encourage that uh, as an area that we don't really see in there. Um, I, the whole budget piece is going to be very interesting as we carry forth. I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, further discussion on that. One of the questions that came up uh, was about gas leaf blowers and the city of Seattle's action. Do you have any comments about that? Do you have any uh, thoughts? Yeah, thank you. That That is, um, I believe we mentioned this in the staff report, but that is a specific suggestion that came out of some of our uh, general community feedback and engagement and the, from the parks board as well at um, looking at uh, both converting our, um, you know, uh, leaf blowers and, and off-road gas equipment in our city operations, but also mandating that, uh, banning that similar to city of Seattle. Um, so that is something that was missing. And so we are, I, I'm recommending that we add that into uh, the draft cap as a specific action. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Further questions or comments? Councilmember Ramsdale and then Deputy Mayor. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Um, I just want to piggyback what uh, Councilmember Mork said, an excellent uh, presentation. Really, it was really very good information to, uh, to, uh, to read. Um, the one thing that I'm kind of wondering about was um, the, if you're aware of like, what types of incentive programs work well for the electri electri electrification of existing homes. Um, uh, my wife and I just had our uh, four zone mini split installed in our, our home and there was a little incentive that that reduced our cost by about two and a half percent. But I think that uh, I'm kind of curious, you know, if you have a sense of, you know, what types of incentives work um, for um, 
for converting um, existing homes from fossil fuel heat to uh, electrification. Thank you for that question. Yeah, that's um, that's a great question. So uh, just noting that uh, building out a building, a home electrification program and providing some incentives and, re and, and resources and education for the community related to, to heat pumps and, and building electrification, home electrification is one of the top ranking actions currently in the, in the cap. Um, and there are a number of uh, programs in our region, but also across the company that have, or across the country, excuse me, that have been working on this front for a number of years. So, um, you know, just next door in Seattle, they have an incentive program uh, and, and some of those incentives through City Light are available in Shoreline, um, but there's additional incentives uh, program that the city of Seattle runs for folks to get off of oil heat. Um, there's also a, a East, East Side Cities uh, Collaborative um, that is working to provide incentives over there. So there's a couple of different models we could pull some data from and see what has been working for them, see what's been working uh, in our region um, uh, to build out that program. All right, thank you. Another question I have is, um, one of the things I didn't, uh, as a uh, cy cyclist myself, I just didn't notice, I didn't see that there was any kind of a, a section on um, uh, any incentives or a plan to implement an, an electric bicycle or electric scooter kind of program. I'm wondering if there's, uh, if the staff has thought about um, moving forward with a, a similar program that we see in other, other uh, uh, cities. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that question as well. Um, E-bikes, e-scooters, uh, sort of all the different micro mobility um, options are definitely something we're thinking about. And we have uh, had a lot of conversations with our um, transportation master plan folks uh, about this um, who are also thinking about it. There should be a, a couple of actions that, that reference electric bikes specifically in, in the draft, uh, in the transportation section. Um, one of them, the big ones would be the uh, creation of the mobility hubs shared use mobility hubs um, that would likely have uh, amenities for e-bikes or e-scooters um, to help get people to and from the light rail stations. So that's something our public works transportation team is um, studying and looking at. Um, but yeah, there's also a recommendation about um, looking at uh, yeah shared, shared use uh, options for um, e-bikes and e-scooters. And that could be uh, like a, um, uh, more a community-based model that is not dependent on a smartphone um, to get at some of the equity concerns with that, or that could be, yeah, looking at potentially incentives for uh, people to purchase, you know, electric bikes or electric scooters. All right, thank you. Other questions or comments? Go ahead, sorry, I apologize, Stephanie. Yeah. That's okay, yeah. um, this will be quick. Um, I don't know if by design or just um, just luck, but this presentation is happening right in the middle of our budget discussions, and so there have been a lot of questions about implementation of the plan. Um, there are incredible ideas in here. I think a lot of things that we want to see implemented. Um, if you could take a minute to just talk about that relationship um, between uh, what, what needs to happen next if we as a council choose to move forward and want to make sure that this is adequately funded. Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, I believe the original goal when we first started the climate action plan was to, uh, you know, perfectly align it with the budget process, um, but that was not able to happen um, due to a number of reasons. So uh, 
yeah, we have some of the in initial costs identified, but we are still developing, um, you know, costs for specific actions. Um, as was mentioned in the earlier presentation, there are a couple of things, a um, couple of uh, line items that are in the, the proposed budget for 23-24, um, <coughs> specific cap recommendations. So uh, the public in the public works, the mobility hub study is one of those um, that I mentioned. There's also money for a uh, connectivity study or a porosity study to look at walkability. Um, the parks, urban forestry staff that was mentioned <clears throat> as well as some uh, general fund budget in the environmental services budget, uh, just under 250,000 for cap implementation that could go towards um, the priority actions. Uh, but there will be uh, uh, additional costs that are needed. So we'll be working over the next, um, you know, we are working and we'll continue to be over the next few months to outline all of those costs. Um, but we were, we we're, thinking it would likely um, at this point have to fold into a uh, mid-biennium request. Thank you. All right, other questions or comments? All right, just, just a couple quick things. Um, for starters, this is probably baked into this already, but when we talk about cost analysis, the piece of that that is gonna be most useful for me is the specifically environmental benefit we get for each dollar spent. And my example is, you know, we may get a proposal to electrify our, our garbage and recycling collection fleet, which would require a renegotiation of the contract with the provider, that could potentially could be hugely expensive. That's probably not worth it unless we got data showing we would get X tons of greenhouse gas emissions reduced, in which case spending a lot of money on shared mobility hubs may not in fact be the wise use. And that to me is what I'm really hoping this plan does, is let us, give us a, a palette of op or a, a plate of options with the data necessary to make the informed choice about what's wise to fund from the existing budget, when we might need to go to, that, to the taxpayers for more, what, basically what's worth it. Because I don't know that, and I'm not sure we're gonna be able to suss that out, whereas some of the other things like equity, I think we can probably take the softer data and, and bake that in. So uh, you're, you're welcome to respond to that, I don't, don't, you don't need to. That, that's, just, that's my concern, and that's what I'm not sure I saw in, in the draft. Um, the other thing, I, I just want to back up Councilman Roberts, and I think he and I are both probably personally frustrated because, I, if I remember correctly, we were on the losing side of the styrofoam vote, and I was just like, why, why are we doing this? Um, and the reason we did it way back when is we were concerned about small business, and we were concerned about you know, adversely impacting folks on equity grounds. We've got data now because Seattle did it and we didn't, and you have not seen an explosion of the Seattle fast food and takeout industry and uh, you know, a consequential, you know, dramatic uptick in shorelines. We know that's not gonna stop small business or put them out of business. I'd like to see us get that stuff done. And that's stuff like the type of packaging that's used. We do not require compost in multifamily, which is just you know, bizarre to me. Those sort of low hanging fruit things I think we can do. And we can do it better than Seattle by getting outreach done and getting education done and making it practical and possible where I'm not sure other jurisdictions have always done that. So I'd like to see that in there because on that side, I think the costs are low and the benefits may not be giant, but they're significant enough that, that we, can, we can do it. So you're welcome to respond, although you don't have to. And any other questions or comments from council after Mr. Reed is done? Uh, no, just, yeah, thank you for that feedback. I think um, uh, we can, yeah, any, any other, you know, council direction in terms of specific things uh, that they'd like to see added to the cost analysis. Um, 
uh, if there's any other specific thoughts, yeah, I would welcome that. Anything further at this point from council? No. All right. Thank you very much, Mr. Reed. And we can always send further uh, email input as, as the plan develops. Brings us to our final agenda item, which is study item 9B. It's a discussion of ordinance number 974, which is amending the 2021 to 22 biennial budget. So the current budget rather than the next year's. And I believe Ms. Lane is presenting. I have a brief presentation about ordinance number 974. This is the final um, budget amendment, or we plan it to be the final budget amendment of the 21-22 um, adopted budget. So this slide um, speaks to the impact by fund. The details of the budget amendment were provided in your materials, so I'm not gonna go over those with you, but we do see that that increases our biennial budget. Um, to 358, almost $159 million. And um, this is a picture of the general reserves after um, the impact of the biennial um, of this final amendment. And we see that we are anticipating the unassigned and undesignated beginning fund balance to be about $17 million um, at the beginning of 2023 with these amendments included. And so this item will be returned to council for action on November 21st. And I open it for your question and discussion. Questions or comments? No, any objection to seeing this come back on consent? No. Yeah, go ahead, council member. Uh, just for the record, um, the staff report describes all the changes. And so the public is, <laughs> who would like to know more about what's happening, the staff report really describes all the, the changes, uh, many of which I believe the council has already adopted, like the purchase of parks and some emergency repairs, uh, that w those type of things are in the staff report. Yes, yes, all of, all of the details about every change is um, described in the staff report. And the, the danger with having councils that actually read them is it looks like we don't we don't know what's going on, but yeah. in fact, the problem is that we do know what's going on. Um, so, or that didn't come out right. <laughs> in any event, anything further from council? All right, thank you, Ms. Lane. Thank you. All right, and that is our final.